Hi, I'm Gianna Volpe, and thank you for listening to The Heart of the East End on 88.3 WLIWFM, the show where we get to the heart of any matter at hand with folks from all walks of life on Long Island's only local NPR radio station. We stream online at WLIW.org radio and welcome your comments, questions, and collaborations of all kinds on The Heart of the East End. Live from WLIWFM Studio 51 on October 26, 2022, I'm Gianna Volpe on Long Island's only local NPR radio station. Democrat Kathy Hochul and Republican Lee Zeldin squared off in the lone campaign debate of the gubernatorial election last night, clashing over hot bushing issues such as abortion, COVID-19 mandates, and former President Donald Trump and the January 6th riot at the U.S. Capitol. Yancey Roy reports on Newsday.com that in a hard-hitting, fast-paced forum hosted by Spectrum News NY1, the candidates traded barbs and one-liners on almost every topic, including assault weapons, congestion pricing, natural gas drilling, and cryptocurrency, setting up a strong contrast for voters on November 8th. Hochul criticized Zeldin, a congressman from Shirley, for opposing abortion rights, skipping a vote on an assault weapons ban, and opposing a federal infrastructure bill. Hochul saved her sharpest words for when discussing Zeldin's support for Trump and natural gas drilling. Quote, I know you're an election denier, but you're also a climate change denier, Hochul said, referring to Zeldin's vote against certifying the 2020 election, which Trump lost to Democrat Joe Biden. Zeldin attacked Hochul on COVID-19 regulations, overtime pay for farm workers, taxes and congestion prices. Um, but he most often cited state bail laws, crime and residents' fear of crime. Quote, you're poorer and less safe because of Kathy Hochul, Zeldin said in opening remarks. Overall, Zeldin sought to draw a picture of a troubled state under Democrat Party rule. Quote, New York is in crisis. We've experienced on so many levels attacks on our wallets, our safety, our freedom, our children's education, Zeldin said. Hochul sought to turn the crime discussion by focusing on Zeldin's opposition to tougher gun laws. Quote, there's no crime fighting plan if it doesn't include guns and you refuse to do more, Hochul said to Zeldin. Luis Ferre Saturni and Michael Gold in the New York Times report that Zeldin who has spent his campaign trying to appeal to voters' dissatisfaction with the status quo, went on the attack from the get-go, frequently, frequently raising his voice as he channeled a sense of outrage, especially around crime. Hochul, a Buffalo-era Democrat vying for her first full term, took a more measured approach that fit her insistence that the state needs a steady hand to lead it. Beyond trading barbs, neither candidate appeared to have a major breakout moment or gaffe that could reshape the race, which, according to Recent polls may be tightening just two weeks before Election Day, but both staked out starkly different positions on substantive matters from crime to vaccine mandates and immigration ahead of the general election on November 8th. Governor Hochul, 64, is trying to become the first female elected to New York's chief executive office. Congressman Zeldin, 42, is trying to become the first Republican to win a statewide election in New York since George Pataki won the governor's race in 2002. Zeldin is in his eighth year in Congress. 
Here on the East End, the developer of a proposed 412,000 square foot industrial park on Middle Country Road in Calverton was directed by the Riverhead Planning Board last week to prepare a supplemental environmental impact statement to analyze the cumulative impacts of its proposal in combination with several other industrial proposals now pending in the Calverton Hamlet. Denise Civiletti reports on RiverheadLocal.com that the Planning Board on August 8th had accepted the final uh, environmental impact statement of HK Ventures, but had not yet adopted the findings statement that concludes the environmental review process mandated by state law. Last week's unusual move by the planning board came after members of the public complained that the project review previously undertaken by the town failed to ass- assess the cumul- cumulative impacts of the HK Ventures proposal with other major industrial warehousing proposals now pending in the hamlet. The Riverhead Town Board voted unanimously to approve the resolution to require the supplemental EIS from HK Ventures. And finally, Long Island's jobless rate fell to a record low 2.7% last month, marking the fifth time in over 30 years the rate has fallen that low. But other trends in state labor data suggest unease over where the economy is headed. Victor Ocasio reports on Newsday.com that compared with September 2021, last month's employment rate was down one percentage point, suggesting continued improvement as the region rebounds from early pandemic job losses, according to state Labor Department data released Tuesday. On a month-over-month basis, too, Long Island saw a decline in its jobless rate, shrinking from 3.4 percent in August. Nassau Suffolk combined last had a monthly rate of 2.7 percent in April and May of this year and December of last year. Prior to that, the rate was last this low in December 1998. Despite the overall positive report, Sheetal Patel, a labor, labor market analyst with the New York State Labor uh, Department's Hicksville office, said last month's data hints at uncertainty ahead. A much smaller than average decline in the labor force last month suggests that more employers are holding on to seasonal hires while more workers are holding on to positions, she said. In past years, Long Island has seen the labor force, the sum of all employed plus unemployed Long Islanders looking for work, decline by about uh, 23,500 residents each September as businesses shed summer seasonal workers, Patel said. This year, however, the decline was only 7,800, suggesting employers wary of the currently tight labor market are more willing to hold on to short-term hires. Additionally, in September, Long Island typically sees a decline of 18,300 in the number of employed residents, though last month a small gain was reported. Reading the weather in Jamesport in honor of our first guest this morning, Jonathan Perlman, joining us to talk about the Full Moon Arts Collective exhibition currently at William Risk Gallery in Jamesport, an underwriter here on WLIWFM. That's during the Wednesday Works segment, underwritten by Robert James Salon. Looking like a chance of showers and thunderstorms before 2 p.m., then a slight chance of showers between 2 and 5 then patchy drizzle after that with areas of dense fog throughout the day. Otherwise cloudy with a high near 68 degrees, calm wind. Otherwise tonight, patchy drizzle and fog with a slight chance of showers before 11. Otherwise mostly cloudy with a low around 53 degrees, light southwest wind. Right now it's 63 degrees, 
We've got Journey, Ween, Sam Smith, and Spoon before Bob Willis and his Texas Playboys. But first, 311 right here on Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM, the weekday morning and midnight show, The Heart of the East End, featuring music from all decades and genres and folks from all walks of life, all because of you, the listener supporter of Long Island's only local NPR radio station.
Journey's Stay a While uh, is going to come right ahead of Ween's Stay Forever, and that's how I would love it as far as uh, listening to WLIWFM. It is the third annual NPR Music Day, but I'm starting with some art because uh, those are the feels, especially because we have a great live performance right here in WLIWFM 51 with Joe D'Elia and a surprise guest at the bottom of the next hour. So joining us right now is Jonathan and Ellen Perlman, and we're talking about Full Moon Arts Collective, which sort of brings us back to pre-pandemic times. Jonathan, I actually have a gift for you that has sitting, been sitting in my desk oh, since I uh, since we came over here from the last studio. For those of you who are listening, because it's radio, it is a it's an antique top. It's an antique top. I've been making things out of antique tops. You made a bird. The last thing I saw was like a bird. Yeah, I came by to pick this up once about a year ago. Did you? And it wasn't and located. What the, the doors were the doors yeah, were how locked. How sweet of you! <laughs> yeah, I, I've been holding on to it. I'm happy to to give it to you. Very cool. These antique tops. Well, yeah. In some time to come, I'm going to return it as a bird. to you. <gasps> It'll be transformed into oh my gosh something. Almost recognizable. As Jonathan Perlman does best, uh, particularly with found objects, uh, do we have some of your found, transformed art at uh, William Risk Gallery right now, Jonathan? Yes. Yes. I have, um, I think it's five pieces okay. showing. But um, they're only part of a whole wonderful exhibit. 
nine. I just I just recorded the promo before we went on air. So nine artists with nine different approaches to artfully expressing themselves, as is the mission with Full Moon Arts Collective. Can you talk a little bit about uh, this collaboration between Full Moon Arts and the William Russ Gallery? Oh, that um, Mary Cantoni Cantone, uh, showed us uh, last year. We had uh, a wonderful exhibit. It was successful enough for her to ask us back, which was really wonderful. Well, of course it is. So this is our second turn at the William Reese Gallery, and which is in Jamesport, which right, right. I, I'm sure you know. I do. On Main Street in Jamesport. Right. It's it's right behind um, one of the wineries there. Beautiful location. Yes. Lovely ride. Yeah. To get there. It really is beautiful. And I love the wide windows. So, you know, you, you see incredible art on one side. And the other side is just this bucolic view of the vineyards. The actual vines are right there. There's a nice sitting area out there. Uh, I'm curious, as far as Full Moon Arts Collective is concerned... Is there a home base for it anymore? Because I know Ronnie Wiener sold that that beautiful home that you guys had once lived in. Yes, yes. Well, we have a a, a movable a movable location. Oh, that's we good. Have, we have our meetings uh, once a month um, at someone's house at one of our houses. I love that. And we get together and talk about what we're doing. Uh, it's really a wonderful experience still to be working with other people and uh, watching them grow. It's inspiring for all of us. You know, it reminds me of a of a writers group that I, 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 I maybe I'm I'm still a member on the North Fork where we would gather, we would read pieces that we were writing. Do you guys exactly? Do you guys talk? Uh, give one another ideas? Oh, absolutely. <clears throat> Uh, one of our members, members uh, Jane Kirkwood, oh yes, uh, started working with um, wax and wax and pigment, uh, experimenting and learning how to use that m medium. And uh, another member, Steve Palumbo, got excited about what she was doing, and now they've collaborated. Oh, I love that on a piece together. That's at the at the exhibit as well. Oh, cool! So we're kind of continually either learning from each other or uh, being inspired by each other because this is a, a hard time for artists. Yes, because the the world's kind of upside down. Right, even so. And um, art, the making of art, is the most optimistic thing a person can do. In my judgment, it's like gardening. Yeah, you're doing it for the future. And I always say, art and music are are contributions that shape the future of our our peoplehood, mm -hmm. uh, our uh, our collective. Evolution. I agree with you, but uh, I think of it slightly differently. I think that music and art, or art and music, are essentially the same thing. Right. So same. <laughs> well. They all come from the imagination. Yeah. And uh, you, what we're trying to do is to visualize what we see and to comment on what we see. So with the world in disarray, 
it's hard to keep that uh, vision. So we're encouraging each other to keep moving forward. That's and, beautiful. Uh, making art is an expression of optimism. I'm curious, Jonathan, you know, I know the world did shut down the last two years, but uh, personally, as someone who um, scrounges, uh, maybe, on the sides of roads for things that, uh, you know, <laughs> over the years, uh, there was also a lot of um, sort of house cleaning and uh, letting go of things. Did you find yourself overwhelmed as far as the, as part, as, as far as the the found uh, art materials world is concerned, did you find things that you hadn't imagined you would? Oh, you mean because people were, were tearing like, yes, down? Yes, yes, yes. Um, I wish I could say that, but um, I think people are holding on to Ah, especially, things. well, right now, for sure, yeah, right? Yeah, they're just... Ahead of uh, a recession. Right, so at one time... Uh, I could spend a Saturday going to 50 yard sales where people were emptying out old bonds or family collections. And uh, I don't see that so much, right. uh, particularly during the uh, infection period. Really? No one wanted anybody in their home. Right. No galleries were showing art. Oh, there were, certainly weren't yard sales. There were not yard sales. There were not galleries open. There were not shows. So it was very difficult for people uh, like me uh, working with no outlet. So what were so, you doing? Did you, did you turn to the, to the pen? Did you turn to more traditional materials as far as making art? Or did you have sort of a... A mourning period. Oh, I wish I had something great to say to that. <laughs> the You're only like, thing I binged. The only thing I can think of is uh, lying on the couch watching streaming. Yeah, right. Television. It was a difficult hey, time. What did you? Well, I'm curious. What did you stream through the the pandemic? Oh, I hate to say. Yeah. All the I, all the junk. Yes. I'm a junkie for bad, <laughs> bad television. You know what? I think you can probably uh, label a, a large portion of society as uh, streaming junkies. Yeah. Or scrolling junkies. Well, you know, scrolling, when it comes right. to to reels and and TikToks and 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 the like. I'm not a scroller. You're a streamer. My thumbs just don't work that way. <laughs> you know, when it comes to the scrolling, that's when your index finger gets involved. Well, I guess sometimes I scroll with my thumbs. It depends if it's on your phone or on right. your computer. Yeah. yeah. Oh, can you scroll on your computer? I guess if you have a touch screen, right? Yeah. Well, it's I don't have any modern tools. And as I told you when I walked in, be careful where you sit me because <laughs> I can I can break any machine. He told me he can break any machine just by looking at it. And I, I placed him right in front of where he sat right in front of our, our, our mixing board for, for the performance later in the hour. And I said, please, do not, right. look, do not look upon, upon <laughs> this mixing board. I have my hands tied behind my back. <laughs> Believe me. Jonathan, so the, the opening of this show was this past weekend, right? That's correct. And it was wonderful. Uh, Mary has a wonderful following for yes, her. Yes, she does. For her gallery. And, and, and talent for hanging as well. And a great talent for hanging. Yeah. So uh, it was it was really sweet. 
So we had a lot of people come and a lot of nice comments. And uh, I think we're running for two or three more weeks. Well, the show yeah. runs until after the end of Thanksgiving. So oh, it's fantastic. a great thing to do during Thanksgiving. Oh. That's the lovely Ellen Perlman. Or, or if you don't want to uh, think about the election in the next week or so. But but do if you're if you're out and about this weekend, take a look at the art and take advantage of the early voting period, with, which opens this weekend. And uh, the great thing about that is you don't need to use the uh, early voting location where you live; you can use it where you are. The group is also doing two artist talks. Right, we've got uh, one. Wait, wait. There's one November fifth. Yep. And one November nineteenth. And on the 5th, Jonathan will be talking with Peter Beston, Jane Kirkwood, and Steve Palumbo. And on the 19th, Mike McLaughlin, Anna Jurinich, and Liz Malunowitz uh, will be talking. And those talks are at the gallery between 1 and 3. I remember. The talks are really fun to do because people ask such interesting questions or... Uh, questions that come out of their experience from looking at the art. So it's always uh, it's always a test, in a way, to be able to answer honestly and openly. What are people uh, cur- What are people curious about when it comes to your work? Well, with uh, uh, the question I get always first is, where do you find all that stuff? <laughs> That's the f- first question. And where the do second- you find all that stuff? <laughs> Well, wherever I look, right. actually, right, because uh, it's always there. It's just a question whether you can identify it or, or not, or pry it loose from what it's holding <laughs> on to. <laughs> so, but it, for me, it's all. It's all objects are potential objects. They just have to find their mate. It's the it's the objects you look at that are looking back at you, right. In a way, yeah. it's really true yeah. because I, I could look at at, uh, at something and it I could say it looks, oh, that looks a little bit like a bird. Right. Just a tiny bit, like when you were a child, you would see something yeah. in, as you, in the sky and you say, oh, look, the sky, it looks like something. Yes. So uh, for me, it, then it's just a question of realizing that, uh, trying to fulfill that. And um, I'm always trying, and I'm sure every artist is the same. We're always, if we're not trying to make something in a grand sense that can change the world, we're trying to make something that's the best that we can do. So that's that's kind of the goal that I have. And I think it's a goal that most of my friends in this group have, uh, and that is to be continue to work until you make something great. And since you never make anything that's really great, you're always striving Oh, I don't for that. that. Well, Greatness I think it's Greatness is in true. the eye of the beholder, right? Well, we know, well, you know, anyone who's making art or writing music, uh, when they really hit on something, when something's really special. And that doesn't happen every day. Uh, you know, it's a process until, A, you get your craft to the level where you're capable of executing that, and then everything has to come together for it to be really special. 
You know, you're right about that. Although I have to say, it, just hearing you say that reminds me how really lucky I am doing the work that I do here because there are moments of greatness. Just the last two minutes hearing you speak uh, were one of mine, and I'm sure that that uh, this performance in the next hour, it'll happen again. So oh, it's like... Great moments to experience when that happens, and when you're making something and you know you're, you know you're close to it being really good. It's thrilling. Right. It's a thrilling experience, transcends and beats the experience of exhibiting. Exhibiting's a byproduct of good work, but the thrill is in the work and. The exhibiting and people saying they like it, it's That's wonderful. That's extra credit. It's extra credit. Yeah. It really is. I love that. <laughs> that is so true. It, it's it's amazing because when you're talking about these things, I'm realizing, really, well, how universal all this stuff is because isn't that what, what we all do, no matter uh, what we're doing or what work we're in? It's it's that search for greatness and and striving for it. And when you hear... You know the validation parts. That's really just that's the extra stuff. That's extra. Yeah. That's but like the it's, this the it's the uh, cream on top of the cupcake. Yeah, it's wonderful to hear. I'm yeah. not I'm not knocking it at yeah, all. Please it's so tell great. Jonathan how great his work is. Yeah, please. <laughs> you can call me. You can call me. <laughs> right, before I let you go, can you just talk a little bit about folks that are out and about that they. They want to stop by William Risk Gallery. I know they make an appointment, and you can go on Instagram or Facebook and find out more. Uh, what is what are some of the highlights of the show that that you can remember? Although I know uh, you've got that shirt on, I didn't forget. I never knew. You know, I know you know because you've been there because you're in it. Well, you know, sometimes you just get pieces that just go together. They're almost by serendipity. And uh, in this show, everything belongs next to each other. Which makes sense. So it's really, uh, you know, put together beautifully. But the work itself, it may be because we've been working together. Right, that's, I'm sure. For now three or four years, I think close close to four. Such a beautiful thing. And uh, we celebrate each other's work. Our, our work is elevated. Uh, because of that experience, so it just fits together this time very well. So, do you ever? Consider, I hope people come. Yes. Yeah, oh, they will. Do you ever consider new uh, new members of Full Moon Arts Collective? And if there is a, a young, old, whatever, whoever, however you are, uh, an artist out there that's that would like to be part of this group, uh, how would they go upon uh, throwing themselves at your feet? Or, well, or, or asking to be a member, you know. We have considered that, and we've talked about it, but over the last couple of years, the last two years, it kind of put a crimp into any expansion thoughts that we had. But we'd like to find uh, uh, some younger uh, artists to join, but we're not, at this moment, uh, actively searching Ready. for that. Got it. We're just trying to keep it together as a... Well, As come to group. the artist talks. Yes, come to the artist talk <laughs> oh, on the fifth and the nineteenth at the William Riss Gallery. Right. And you can apply. I'm Gianna Volpe. <laughs> 
That is the luminous Ellen and Jonathan Perlman. Uh, this was the Wednesday Works segment underwritten by Robert James Salon. And you are listening to Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM. Hopping over Sam Smith's Stay With Me to play 
a personal favorite of mine. Stay Don't Go from Spoon's Kill the Moonlight record of 2002. How perfect after talking with uh, folks from the Full Moon Arts Collective. I'm Jenna Volpe. This is Spoon. And you, whoever you are out there, you are awesome. And you're listening to Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM.
Hopping over Morris Williams and the Maurice Williams and the Zodiacs. Stay just a little bit longer. You know that song. I'm going to play uh, World Inferno Friendship Society. Stay on the charming side of drunk from just the past party record of 2001. This was my favorite band in high school. I'm Gianna Volpe, and you, whoever you are out there, you are awesome. And you're listening to Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM. Change 
It was my plan to follow uh, whiffs up with uh, talking heads, but I'm going to hop forward. I'm going to give you a little J.J. Kale, Gordon Lightfoot on deck after that. Stay around and stay loose here on Long Island's only local NPR radio station on Public Music Day. We're really excited for Joe D'Elia and a surprise guest to be rocking Studio 51 here on Hill Street in Southampton. I'm Jenna Volpe. This is J.J. Kale, and you, whoever you are out there, you're awesome, and you're listening to WLIWFM NPR Radio.
let's put it on Let it cool a bit Let's try it out And see if it fits Stay around Stay around, girl And let's make love One more time Let's slip away, away into the night. Let's make love till it feels just right. Stay around, stay around, girl. And let's make love one more time. Stay around, stay around, girl, and let's make love, let's make love, let's make love one more
With Long Island Local News, I'm Gianna Volpe on WLIWFM. In their only scheduled debate, New York Governor Kathy Hochul and her challenger, Representative Lee Zeldin of Shirley, Long Island, quarreled intensely last night over divisive issues such as rising crime and abortion access while accusing each other of corruption and dangerous extremism. As reported in the New York Times, 42-year-old Congressman Zeldin, who has spent his campaign trying to appeal to voters' dissatisfaction with the status quo, went on the attack from the get-go, frequently raising his voice as he channeled a sense of outrage, especially around crime. Governor Hochul, 64, a Buffalo-area Democrat vying for her first full term, took a more measured approach that fit her insistence that the state needs a steady hand to lead it. Beyond trading barbs, neither candidate appeared to have a major breakout moment, nor gaffe that could reshape the race, which, according to recent polls, may be tightening now within two weeks of Election Day. But both candidates staked out starkly different positions on substantive matters than uh, from crime to vaccine mandates and the migrant uh, immigration ahead of the general election on November 8th. Governor Hochul is trying to become the first female elected to New York's chief executive office. Congressman Zeldin is trying to become the first Republican to win a statewide election in New York since George Pataki won the governor's race in 2002. Zeldin has represented the first congressional district in Suffolk County since 2015. The New York State gubernatorial campaign is now drawing national attention, the race for the first Congressional district seat in Suffolk County being vacated by Lee Zeldin as he runs for governor promises to draw national attention as it carries with it a potentially significant impact on which party will control the U.S. House come the new year. Beth Young in East End Beacon reports that Suffolk County legislator Bridget Fleming, a Democrat and former prosecutor from Sag Harbor, is running against Republican Nick LaLota of Amityville, a Navy veteran and former Amityville Village trustee, who currently serves as the chief of staff to the Suffolk County Legislature. Fleming, like many Democrats this election cycle, has made reproductive rights and helping working families a hallmark of her campaign, while LaLota has touted his family's law enforcement background and worked to paint Fleming as a a tax-and-spend Democrat. The candidates answered questions from reporters and the public in an October 20th forum on Newsday TV and are slated to face off again in a Zoom debate organized by the Express News Group tomorrow. A woman has never represented New York's first congressional district in the U.S. House of Representatives. Here on the East End, the Riverhead Town Board received updated renderings and development plans for the new town square and the Peconic Riverfront during a presentation on public space activation at last week's work session. Alec Lewis reports on RiverheadLocal.com that the presentation outlined the ongoing development of the downtown area and also unveiled plans for two parking garages off East Main Street not previously presented to the board. The presentation was made by Barry Long, president and CEO of Urban Design Associates, the Pittsburgh planning firm hired to do various work on the town square and the downtown area, including the pattern book. The Riverhead Town Board entered into the agreement for the plan in July as the town was in the process of selecting projects to recommend for a piece of the $10 million downtown revitalization initiative funding and after Jay Petroselli Development Associates was designated the master developer for the town square project. 
Thursday's presentation was just a draft of the work done by UDA and its sub-consultant, Phil Myrick, an urban designer based in upstate Pleasantville, and the Riverhead Town Board will be given a final plan in a document soon. And finally, here in WLIWFM Studio 51, Southampton, we are ready and raring to go for a live performance by Joe D'Elia and a special surprise guest at the bottom of the hour as we celebrate the third annual Public Radio Music Day by doing what we do best, featuring local musicians. That segment will be underwritten by LTV Studios, another great place to find local music. So stay tuned to 88.3 and 96.9 WLIWFM for Joe D'Elia and a surprise guest at the bottom of the hour. And a little love note here. If you enjoyed the live Studio 51 performances by Gene Casey, Nancy Atlas, Rob Europe, and Pete Mancini, well, you oh, and Delaney Hafner, you can find the video from those performances on the Studio 51 program page on WLIW.org slash radio as those all went live yesterday. Check it out and stay tuned as I read the weather right here in Southampton in honor of our newest edition of the Studio 51 sessions live at the bottom of the hour here in WLIWFM Studio 51. Looking like a chance of showers and thunderstorms before 2 p.m., then a slight chance of showers between 2 and 5 p.m., patchy drizzle after that. Areas of dense fog today otherwise cloudy with a high near 65 degrees. East wind around 5 miles per hour becoming calm in the afternoon. Tonight, patchy drizzle with a slight chance of showers before 11. Patchy fog before then otherwise mostly cloudy with a low around 55 degrees. Southwest wind 6 to 8 miles per hour. Right now it's 65 degrees. I've got Valerie June, Belly, uh, and maybe some mandolin orange to lead us to the bottom of the hour. But first, Rihanna Stay featuring Mickey Echo right here on Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM.
this whole gong The funny or the broken one But I'm the only one who needed saving Cause when you never see the light It's hard to know which one of us is caving
Red B. 
Day from Belly's 1993 record, Star. We are going into the belly of the beast, Mandolin Orange, ahead of our next live performance from WLIWFM Studio 51 here on the third annual Public Mu- Radio Music Day on Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM. Stay tuned. Live from WLIWFM Studio 51 here on the third annual Public Radio Music Day. I'm Gianna Volpe, host of the Heart of the East End. So excited to welcome into Studio 51 the one and only Joe D'Elia. Hello, Gianna. Oh, hello. And 
Secret surprise guest, Cliff Black. Hello. Oh my gosh, guys. It's so awesome to have you in the studio with us this morning, uh, especially because this is the first time, is it not, that you guys are in the new space? This yeah. is, uh, it's the first time. I actually went to the, the wrong. You went to the old, the <laughs> yeah, old. I went to the old studio. studio and, you know, coming in here, the, the space is phenomenal. It's just absolutely beautiful. So I'm. So glad to be here for the first time. Yeah. As are both of you. It's yeah. so great to see you in person. It is. Right. My God, there's so much to talk. There's so yeah. much to talk right. about. Well, and speaking, of, let's let's start with with the most recent news, which is that you recently received some accolades for your soundtracking with Padre Pio. Right, Padre Pio, uh, directed by Abel Ferrara, of and course, of starring course. Shia LaBeouf, uh, premiered in uh, at the Venice Film Festival. I guess it was September 5th, I think, we had the, the opening. And then we went on to the Siena Film Festival, and I actually won a prize, which is something that's very unusual for me. But uh, I got a call from Rome like a week later uh, saying, oh, the jury voted you know, best uh, original score for a film Beautiful. from Siena. We didn't get the, the prize of... Uh, at Venice, but we got it at Siena, which was a smaller festival, which was but pr- it's, pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. especially, you know, uh, considering your long uh, history with Abel, can you talk a little bit about uh, working with, with uh, Abel Ferrara? You know, it's been, uh, it's really been since, God, I'm dating myself, but probably the mid-70s that we started working together. Really? And, I, and I've done most of Abel's body of work for, it's really like 40 years now, so you know, in the past six or seven years, we've done one film a year. You know, so it's really been, really been a wonderful part of my life. For really through most of my adult life, has been working with Abel. So we just have this. I love you know, that yeah. type of a thing. It, it reminds me of like Tim Burton, how he would work with yes, the right. same like actors and whatnot. Because you also have Willem Dafoe as part of this whole group. Yes, right. I, I, and there has been a, yeah, yes, Willem and and Shia and Ethan Hawke was in two films ago, which was called Zeros and Ones. But there is a, a, a tradition of directors, you know, uh, not to put myself in this company, but uh, Nita Rota and and Fellini. You know Hitchcock and Bernard Herrmann, where they've stayed with the same composers right. for you know throughout the their lifetimes, you know throughout their careers. So it's been a little like that with Abel, and he's been an incredible uh, not only collaborator but a mentor to me because I didn't start out thinking that I was going to write film scores, and we connected way back in the seventies, and he kind of brought me into into it so but i thought about that you know i was i was driving and i was thinking about uh that uh, trying to, to put myself in abel's shoes because he's uh, his films are very deep uh, there's a lot going on yes. that, uh, under the surface right. of these films and i'm thinking you know if i find someone that i'm working well with that is able yes. to uh musically bring right. uh, match the ideas of the film i would stick with them as well no right and abel is you know very much in the tradition of you know the auteur director where he's hands-on on every frame of film every bit of music and sound acting you know and he's so tuned in to everything you know if he tells the extras to all wear black socks, and there's one person wearing green socks. He'll he'll he will know it. 
you know, and it's the same way with everything everything that do we do. Do you appreciate that when it comes it's, to Yeah, it's great. And and I think, you know, the question that's always asked whenever we do a Q&A or whatever after a screening is, you know, about the process. People always want to know the process and our process has now evolved to where it's it's a different kind of approach to making music where it's like this organic thing where we're always doing it, you know, from the you know, from way before they even start shooting at times. Through you know, all the time changes, yeah. right? Sending right. sending files back and, you know. And then and then that thing. And then we have a, a great, uh, you know, we're working with all Europeans now. So we're, you know, the main office is in Rome. Right. Our producer is in London. And our other producers are in Berlin. So it's like this international melting pot of people who are making these films on, on every one of them, right? So the files are flying. We have a great... Uh, uh, team of editors who will take what I send, Abel gets it, and we just somehow, it morphs into a, a score. It's not done in a traditional way of, you know, uh, you know, you see the, the the rough cut or the close to the fine cut of the film. I imagine the he's director, talking to yeah, you. He's and, talking to you about what he, you know, yeah, yeah, the we're, feeling we're, of a piece. or. And then when we hit on something that's really working, then that becomes locked in huh you know? it, so, it seems like it's the other way around where the music is leading the film and not the other way around exactly you know the normal process is what they call a spotting session and you know there are people sit around a table with clipboards and they say well two minutes and 14 seconds the cue comes in and then it ends at 245 and you write a 45 minute cue for it and you send it in we are not working like that at all i mean sometimes it's like oh we definitely need something specific but very often it's this kind of ongoing flow of ideas that eventually becomes a score. And That's it's really, beautiful stuff. Yeah, it's really been... Obviously it's working, award-winning, guys. All right, oh. so speaking of speaking of team-ups that, that go on for years, we've got Cliff Black <laughs> right. in the studio we with us. <laughs> so now it's time to talk about Joe and Cliff's excellent jam. <laughs> yeah, well, we've, Cliff... Well, we started... Uh, <clears throat> When the pandemic happened, right, you know, we were all locked down and we just doing things on our own and planning. We we decided that you know we're both out here in Mont. You know, he's in Montauk, I'm in East Hampton, and we said let's you know let's get together and try to come up with some songs or something. You know, or do you have something? And I I said yeah, I got a couple of ideas. You know, and and Joe said yeah, I do too. So let's get together and just see what we can hash out. You know, and. And by the time it ended, we had like twenty-one songs or something like recorded that recorded and right and and produced, and it it led us into this. Actually, during the pandemic, we started. We said, "Well, let's do the unthinkable, which would be to try to take a club in Montauk on an off night, off season, and it was January, so it's cold and bluster, you know, Montauk bluster, and try to get a night off the ground." And we did three nights, three Mondays in a row. And each night it built and built and built. By the third Monday, we had people coming out in the snow mm. to hear us play. That was really the live thing. And to come and play. So and it, to come and it really yeah, was so, an excellent jam. Yeah, it was an excellent jam and it was an invitational thing. So we would, you know, ask a couple of people. Mama Lee would come out and <sighs> Sarah Conway and various people would right. come in and we'd just call them up and they'd sing, right? And then I remember that the fourth date was March 11th, 2020, 
and the lockdown had hit, right. and it was done. Right? Done. So we picked it up two weeks, two Mondays ago. And the first Monday was pretty good. Re- just yeah, recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, I didn't know this. And yeah. then this last Monday, we went in there. And the house is nearly packed out. I mean, we had like a really good crowd. Because the locals it, are finally ready people, to come. And <laughs> come it was so good. Again. So to do, you know, a took me bit time of, to, <laughs> to do a bit of shameless promotion here. We're doing it again on the 14th and the 21st, and it's going to be, it will be a hoedown. This is I a beautiful thing. Guarantee. <laughs> this is the a beautiful food thing. Is, the food is awesome there too, and it's no cover. Where did you say? It's called Talk. At oh, right. yeah, it used to be Trails End in right. and it's a nice room for us to play. It sounds great. The food is great. Staff and is great. The staff. It's really cool. Mike Nasty, who who owns the place and runs the place, is great guy. Our bud. You know, All right, so. so I feel like this is a great time to play Fire in My Belly because yeah. <laughs> uh, the excellent jam has returned. Joe and Cliff's excellent jam at Talk, talk. At talk. in Montauk. In Montauk. Yep. Yeah, here we go. So you ready for it? I'm ready for it. Here we go. Still got the fire in my belly. I got a burning in my home. Every day I drag myself out of bed Feel like a brand new star Still got the fire in my belly Truth be told I cannot lie One thing I know for certain I'm gonna rock and roll till the day I die Alright, 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 alright I got my baby beside me Wish beside me through thick and thin I got this feeling deep down inside me She'd be my lover till the bitter end Still got the fire in my belly A truth be told I cannot lie One thing I know for certain I'm gonna Rock and roll till the day I die. Rock and roll till the day I die. Come on, Clifford Bar. Ain't got no time for no whiskey too I got some nasty, crazy little habits But I keep pushing, pushing, pushing on through Still got the fire in my belly With truth be told I cannot lie 
One thing I know for certain I'm gonna rock and roll till the day I die Rock and roll till the day I die Some people tell me I swagger Saw me on the street, yeah, they tell me so Well, telling me I look like a slacker Something from the air Sullivan show Still got the fire in my belly Well, truth be told, I cannot lie One thing I know for certain Now, three time boys I'm gonna rock and roll till the day I die Rock and roll till the day I die Rock and roll till the day I and Cliff Black live in WLIWFM 51 Fire in My Belly what a perfect track and a perfect time to be playing that track when uh, these two musicians pushing the boundaries of live performance here in Studio 51 in our uh, beginning stages of having folks in the studio the third annual public radio music day Right here on WLIWFM. I love that track. If you if you uh, aren't listening to us live or you want to find it uh, wherever you find music, it is on the 2011 Joe D'Elia and Thieves record, Smoke and Mirrors, which is a record I love. Uh, I feel like this is a, a, a cool moment uh, to visit something, Cliff, that you were telling me about, uh, which is... The um, the roots of music at the Talk House, I hadn't known how integral you were to there being uh, music at the Talk House, the Stephen Talk House being like the CBGBs of the East End. Well, yeah, it was. I mean, it is. It is. It's been, I mean, once we, once we started putting music in it. And, you know, and if you don't mind, I mean, uh, take us back because once well, upon a the, time. I was the first guy to ever play there in the in the new regime of the talk house and how Back did it happen the, well you know my my family and stuff of people peter Honekamp and stuff and my mom and stuff people bought the talk house put it together 
when it was just a bar. And I was the one who said that there should be music in the place. Was there a stage and yet? No, there was nothing. There was, we built the original, the original building before the stage was there. When was this? This was 1988. And the, the club was just, um, if you've been there, yeah, obviously, okay, yeah, so you know the course. big stage. Yeah. That was a driveway. Huh? That wasn't, a, that wasn't there. It was, that was a driveway. And there was a little door on the building where people would pull up and they'd load in through this little door that they, I think the door had to be put in because I think Laura Nero <laughs> wouldn't go through the crowd. So they built the door so she could walk in onto this. And the stage, there was no stage really. It was a couple of platforms that we built and... You know, because, basically, because you said we should be, we should we be should, playing. We should have music in this place, and and I was the first guy to play there, and you know, eventually other local musicians and people started playing, and then John Hammond was the first lo- first national act yeah, to play yeah. there, and I think once once John Hammond played there, you know, the the blues booking agents, you know, it was like. All, everybody played Once there. Once you're Albert on the King radar, played yeah. there, and and uh, unbelievable. Um, Albert Collins and uh, all those blues guys. You know, it's like when it first started out. You know, and uh, and we just kept on building from there. You know, and uh, blows my and, mind. And it, there was like Los Lobos played there back nice. back then. <laughs> back then, when when and it held like seventy five people or something That's like that. And, uh, and I remember because I was kind of the the guy doing the uh, uh, advancing for shows, you know. So, so I called the guy from Los Lobos, you know, to talk to him about the show, you know, and I explained to him, you know, we have a really small yeah, PA small, system, yeah, right. you know. At that point, it was like a twelve-channel board or something like that, you know. And and uh, and, and how did it? How, and the, how and was the guy, it? Well, the road manager, road manager said, "I said it's a really small place. I just want you to know that, you know. Right. It's like it's like you know." And they said, oh, we're used to playing small places. And I said, oh, yeah, I'm but just letting is... you know, <laughs> this is a small place. So the band pulls up, road manager gets out, and walks into the club through the door that brings you onto the, st- the platform stage. And guy walks in, and I'm st- standing at the bar, you know, so you're seeing across, across the way. And he, he goes, you Cliff? I go, yeah, how you doing? He goes, he goes, where's the stage? I go, you're standing on it. <laughs> wow. So what did they do? Did they fill in like that dance area? Or well, there what? was a dance area right. back then, and they would just take these platforms and put them as oh. a little raised platform for the band, and then people sat out, and what's the dance floor now was part of the stage. Then you know, for that Los Lobos, really yeah. Small. And Los Lobos, the guy goes, oh, this is never going to work, because the band's going to, I go, Told you it was small, <laughs> you know, and, and the band walked in and they were like, "This is great! Aww. Like, this is like playing the in your living room. It's are... like playing in your living well, room." Well, I guess it depends, but you know, well, yeah, I, they... I, I'm very lucky, I guess, because uh, the East End is full of a lot of friendly musicians. Well, I guess yeah, that's not always the case. Yeah, there's always the you know the story. You know, yeah, but, 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 I, I, but I, that I... was that was one of the things that that was so great, you know that. The, those bands playing in such a small place, you know, at that point before the big stage got built. Cliff, what is it like? What is uh, it like for you to see the Talk House uh, having become what it is uh, because 
of uh, what you did, uh, just in the context of of who you are as a musician, someone who plays with everyone. <laughs> well, I try. Yeah. <laughs> That's one of the beauty, beautiful things about working there at, at that point, you know, and, and being there was getting to meet. You know, those people were my heroes. Those, right. those, the blues guys were all, yeah. you know, those guys were, to, to meet those guys or even get to, you know, to, to meet them or just react with them or whatever. You right. Know, and get to play with whoever I, I did get to play with. And Joe, uh, from, from your perspective, uh, thoughts on having musicians like Cliff around when it comes to putting stuff together? Uh, you know, it's the community of, uh, people out here you know has been you know great between you know cliff was really one of the first people when i first started playing more out here because i played you know played out here a little bit in the in the 90s and uh pj always said because we have the place in montauk she was always like you know you've got to play in the hamptons and i was like yeah but how do you do that i don't know anybody and i just came it was 12 years ago i came in i had my hammond organ and within a week, I was starting to. I, I first connected with Dan Bailey, who's a terrific artist from the East End. And, uh, I was I played the whole summer with him, and th- really through that connection, I had known Cliff a little bit, but then I met Nancy, and it was it was pretty quick that I met everybody around, and it's just been a it's been beautiful. And I think the connection that Cliff and I have has been really amazing. You know, we were talking about the recording and stuff that we had done. We really made quite an album i mean we recorded something like 20 masters and we did all the recording ourselves and some would go would be sent out you know we send out uh files to people to work on but we did pretty much all of it and then larry alexander who's a great engineer we would send the tracks to him and he just did these phenomenal mixes and we have an album in the can that we're kind of you know, little Slowly by rolling yeah, out. we're yeah. kind of rolling it out. It's di- everything is DIY. It's really good stuff. I mean, I'm, you know, of, yeah, we're pretty happy uh, with what we came up with. I mean, we were surprised that it became a country record, but it yeah, was like, it's, it's, you it's know, pretty, it's pretty country, country happens. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> pretty, uh, yeah, no, I, not I, at I, all. Yeah, and I always say, you know, what happens when you put two old hippies in a recording studio during a global pandemic? Right, for six months, you come out with a country yeah. and western album. Yeah, I guess, with them, sure, uh, some yeah. blues on the back. Uh, yeah, yes. hey, yep. all right. So, so we got to we we're getting we're getting close. Yeah, we're getting so close. speaking of, speaking of Montauk, yeah. we got to hear under the Montauk moon. Uh, do you want to say anything about this uh, track before we uh, get started, well, or we that, could talk that, about it after? P, my wife PJ inspired it. We love you, yeah, PJ. Yeah, we love you, PJ. And she came up with this line. She said. How about this for a title of a song, Aimless and Immortal by the Sea? Oh. And I thought, man, this is like some, you know, you know, e- e- Cummings poetry. So I said, it's a beautiful line, but how do you make it into a, a, a rock and roll song? And then the, the, the song really wrote itself. You know, it was what Jonathan was talking about, you know, how things, you know, writing yes. and doing cre- <clears throat> creative things. Sometimes you get a, <coughs> a good one, and this one just it literally wrote itself. Jonathan in an hour. Perlman. Yes, yeah, it, yeah. Yes, ex- exactly. And I, I can remember, I just it was like automatic writing. Yes, the, it the came from thing. came from and, above. And, and it and came it was, from the Montauk. Moon. And it was originally called "Aimless and Immortal by, by the, the sea. sea." And I brought up the typewritten lyric to PJ, 
And she just read it, and she said, my goodness, you know. She said, but you have to call it Under the Montauk Moon, because that was the other line. So she gets it. She, yeah, she understands. Yeah. So, like how so afterwards, of course, she said, you know, I'm a co-writer on this. <laughs> and I, I was like, yeah, of course you are. <laughs> so she's on the books. The PJ, on, in BMI, you are considered the co-writer, <laughs> because she came up with it, and that's... That's it. So, uh, how's right that here. for how's that for a lead Beautiful. into the song? <laughs> well, the northeast wind comes roaring down a mid-October night. They boarded up the storefronts and turned out all the lights. So I drove right past old Chagwon Last call at Liars And three guys outside Looking for a fight Tonight Under the Montauk moon Well the surfers out at Houston Waiting for a swell Harley's revving east on 27 Like they're headed straight to hell And the locals hate all the cities Who come out in droves by June The hand that feeds them really feels a bite tonight Strumming that guitar with all her might tonight.
Hawaiian sits on a bench, looking vacant. He places a ukulele whale. And then some wealthy socialite comes by, and it's very hard to tell. Well, if she's really from old money, or if a pedigree is just a game, she plays her kicks to get her drinks, chicks, and dinner free. Well, now Main Street's cold and empty now. And not a soul around But just a ghost of Andy Warhol Acting like he owns his town And there ain't no 20-somethings Listening to no memory motel tune Not a living, a soul inside tonight And Cliff Black, I blew it by uh, not giving you more space for when we uh, do the recording, but that's all right. What a perfect track to lead us into the NPR news break, although we are going to give you a little getting over Jane. This is Joe D'Elia and the Thieves from Smoke and Mirrors. This was Joe D'Elia and Cliff Black live from WLIWFM Studio 51 on the third annual Public Radio Music Day. Right here on WLIWFM. Yeah. 